dlaczego oni chcą wyjść z Unii Europejskiej. Tak naprawdę, żeby właśnie bezkarnie gwałcić prawa obywateli, gwałcić zasady demokracji, kraść bez opamiętania. Przecież tak naprawdę o to dokładnie chodzi. In December of last year, protests swept across major Polish cities as frustration with the increasingly authoritarian regime reached yet another boiling point. That October, Poland's constitutional court ruled that in some cases, the Polish constitution overrides the authority of the European Union. Widespread pro-European protests erupted in various Polish cities following this statement, where large crowds and major political figures, including Lech Wałęsa and Donald Tusk, demonstrated their support. Donald Tusk, the former Prime Minister of Poland and, up until 2019, the former President of the European Council of the EU, gave a speech at a protest in Warsaw that struck right at the heart of the struggle between Poland and the EU. I included a segment of his speech at the start of this episode. His words translate to, After all, we know very well why they want to leave the European Union. In fact, in order to violate citizens' rights with impunity, to violate democratic principles, and to steal without restraint. My name is Mary Hopkins, and today on this episode of The Looking Glass, we'll be taking a closer look at the rise of authoritarianism in Poland and the real-world consequences for the Poles on the ground. I'll be speaking with Professor Charles Getty, a senior research professor of European and Eurasian Studies at Johns Hopkins Seis, as well as a longtime critic of the current Polish government. I must have visited uh, Poland way back under communist rule, probably a dozen times or so. We were very hopeful in the era 1989, 1990. I was there in 89 when the message came from the Soviet Union that Poland was on its own and we expected Western-style democracy to develop there and it hasn't happened. I'll also be speaking with Abigail Steinsek, a graduate student at American University who's published a fascinating thesis on the ruling party and their weaponization of narratives and conspiracy. My interest in this started because I was reading and I realized when you talk about the EU, they talk about Brussels. Something came from Brussels. And it's the same way that they used to talk about something came from Moscow. This sort of metonymy of Moscow for the center of the Soviet Union to symbolize the oppression. And I think you get a similar vein of that with the EU. You're listening to The Looking Glass. In 1989, Poland finally broke away from the isolation and poverty of Soviet communism that had controlled the nation since the mid-20th century. From the West, it looked as though the country were moving towards Western-style democracy, complete with fair elections, free market capitalism, and greater freedom of travel. The Solidarity Movement had captured the imagination of millions, and as the Soviet Union collapsed, Poles and Westerners alike were hopeful about the future. After the collapse, Poland, then led by former Solidarity leader Lech Wałęsa, turned towards the West and to the institutions that united it. NATO and the EU represented the possibility of a democratic future. They also offered protection against a revival of the old world order, of their former role as a subject of the Soviet sphere of influence. Professor Gatti previously worked with renowned Polish-American diplomat Zbigniew Brzezinski. During the 1990s, the two advocated for establishing liberal democracies in post-Soviet states. Well, I have known Dr. Brzezinski since 1970. He cared about Poland greatly. 
became a very strong advocate of uh, Poland joining NATO, and so was I, and actually we worked together on that issue. Their efforts paid off in some respects. In 1999, Poland became a member of NATO, and in 2004, Poland became a member state of the European Union. But in 2001, between two democratic milestones, the populist right-wing nationalist party, known as the Law and Justice Party, was formed. The Law and Justice Party was founded and led by the Kaczynski brothers, Jarosław and Lech, both of whom have since held various leadership roles, both in the party and the government. Today, Jarosław Kaczynski remains the party chair, and many consider him to be the power center of the party to this day. Lech Kaczynski, on the other hand, died in 2010 during his presidency in a tragedy that paralleled 9-11 in its impact on national consciousness. While en route to the Russian city of Smolensk, a plane carrying the Polish president and 95 other prominent government officials crashed just before reaching the runway. No one on board the plane survived, and the tragedy became a formative cultural memory, as well as a valuable political tool. Poland's difficult history with Russia easily lent itself to theories of Russian sabotage and assassination, which only escalated in intensity as time went on. This tragedy ultimately bolstered a narrative of Polish victimhood, which became one of the core tenets of the PIS party's rhetoric. PIS stands for Prawo i Sprawiedliwość, which is the Polish translation of law and justice. Moreover, it revealed the willingness of the party to weaponize and distort events in the media for rhetorical benefit, just one of the many signs of increasing authoritarianism that would accompany the party's rise to power. Poland has become a semi-authoritarian state. It, it is governed by a dogmatic right-wing coalition. It has significant support from the very important Catholic Church. It is not as anti-American as uh, neighboring Hungary has become because Poland relies on NATO and the United States for defense against uh, the revival of an aggressive Russia. Poland is a very good member of NATO. It's not a good member of the European Union with which it has constant, constant problems with the EU over several years now, threatening all kinds of actions against the Polish government concerning gender issues, but maybe most importantly, rule of law issues, that the courts are not independent. The press is very significantly under Kaczynski's thumb. They try to reinforce all these conspiracy theories against science. There is tremendous appeal of conspiracies by the West, by Germany, of course, by the Russians, by Jews. These simple answers to complicated problems, blaming others, scapegoating, is very widespread. One of the things I've studied intensely is the Holocaust law from 2018, where they made it an offense to claim Poles were taking part and actively involved in the murder of Jews during the Holocaust. The laws that they're implementing are laws that make it illegal to criticize the government, to criticize the nation, which to me is one of the hallmarks of PIS in particular, but authoritarian and populist nationalist parties as a whole, is this idea that you have to instrument laws that protect the nation as an entity. 
it doesn't work by putting people in jail. That is not happening. So it's not like Belarus. It's not like Putin's Russia. It's not certainly not like China. The pressures work differently in Poland today. For example, newspapers are under pressure because there is not enough advertising. The government pressures companies not to put advertising into papers that are critical of the Polish regime. So it's very unfortunate because Poland was in the leadership against communism, a country of 40 million people or so, and 10 million people signed up in the 1980s for solidarity. Nowhere else in Central or Eastern Europe was there such widespread opposition to communism as in Poland. And yet the old traditions, the old undemocratic traditions have unfortunately prevailed. In 2015, a PIS candidate won the presidency, and the party subsequently took control of the legislative system in Poland. From the start, their trajectory was authoritarian, right-wing, conservative in nature. And almost from the start, the party began to come into conflict with the European Union over human rights violations. As a country with a long history of Catholicism, some of the efforts to control the population appeared in the form of ultra-conservative, anti-LGBTQ+, and pro-life legislation. As of 2020, abortions are illegal except in cases of rape, incest, or if the pregnancy directly threatens the mother's life. Additionally, during the current president's re-election campaign in 2021, Andrzej Duda pledged to bar gay couples from being able to marry or adopt, as well as to prevent LGBT, quote, ideology from being taught in schools. With this new conflict with the European Union, we have this idea that the European Union is trying to impose these Western values onto Poland. And because of that, PIS is the one savior of the nation, the one thing that can hold back the tides of Western liberal democracy and protect Polish conservative Catholicism. Particularly in Poland, unlike in Hungary, the nation and the conservative parties are tied to the Polish Catholic Church. There is no Polish nation without the Catholic Church. And that's been a fundamental part of their identity for a long time. It was, of course, very important during the communist era and probably one of the main reasons that Poland was able to peacefully come out of their Soviet occupation. And I say occupation because in a lot of ways, they think about everything up until 1989 as an occupation. And that I think is important, this idea of victimization and occupation for so long that in a lot of ways, when they talk about the EU, it feels like they're talking about another occupation. Well, it came from the lack of a truly democratic tradition in Poland, particularly in the countryside. Even today in the big cities like Warsaw and the beautiful city of Krakow, these government parties don't have majorities. It's in the countryside where the agricultural workers have very traditional values basically against modernity. Basically, it is the countryside that has prevailed, which is where the support is for the current government. What appeals to them is the assurance that they don't have to change their ways. They don't have to live up to uh, European standards or Western standards. But beyond the party's ultra-right-wing tendencies, greatest violation of civilian rights that PIS has committed is the overt corruption of the rule of law. 
They are a far-right nationalist party that came into power in 2015, having previously come into power in the early 2000s until the plane crash that killed the president in 2010. Right now, that party is trying to consolidate power, and the, one of the places they have chosen to consolidate power is with the courts, which is what has caused the big inflammation with the EU. The number one issue has to do with the independence of the judiciary. Now, uh, there are different political systems in the world. In the presidential system, like the United States, the judiciary is constitutionally independent. And while members have to be approved by other branches of government, nominated by the executive branch and approved by Congress, by legislative branch, nonetheless, once this is done, the judiciary is truly and genuinely independent. Dependent. Poland has a parliamentary system and the executive branch dominates parliaments but also dominates the judiciary. And the European Union has over maybe as long as a decade has found that the independence of the Polish judiciary is a huge problem and try to encourage or even force Poland to make the changes. But the Polish government has resisted because Kaczynski, from the background, resists all changes that would curb his way of managing a very traditional and in many ways very reactionary Poland. To put it simply, rule of law means that the judicial system of a country must be impartial and independent from the political system to ensure due process of law, or that every citizen receives fair treatment regardless of their political affiliations or leanings. Since 2015, PIS has instituted judiciary reforms that directly violate this principle. Judges in ordinary courts are now subject to discipline from a disciplinary chamber, members of which are appointed by political representatives. Moreover, judges are now able to be sanctioned based on their decisions, which allows the party to punish judges that make rulings the party doesn't agree with. Legislation was also introduced that lowered the retirement ages of judges and prosecutors, forcing many judges into early retirement and clearing the way for politically motivated appointments. Rule of law is an essential principle of democratic governments, as well as a major tenet of the European Union. Multiple EU bodies have condemned the actions of the PIS party as violations of EU law. However, the EU has struggled throughout the years to effectively change Poland's behavior. The European Union is limited in its enforcement abilities, in part because they are primarily an economic organization, and also because measures involving sanctioning or punishing another EU member often require a unanimous vote, which the EU cannot achieve due to the solidarity between Poland and Hungary, a country which is also currently led by an authoritarian regime under Viktor Orban. Despite enforcement issues, the EU has imposed some consequences on Poland. In October of 2021, the European Court of Justice began fining Poland the equivalent of $1.2 million a day over the existence of the disciplinary chamber. The effectiveness of these measures in shaping PIS behavior is largely yet to be seen, and the recent invasion of Ukraine has significantly altered the situation. As a bordering country, Poland has made headlines for civilian mobilization in support of Ukrainian refugees as well as for being one of the first European countries to condemn Russian aggression. But one thing won't change, at least not in the near future, and that is the narrative of Polish victimhood that justifies, fuels, and enables the authoritarian nature of the PIS party. It's a narrative carefully constructed through conspiracy, revisionist history, and strategic, nationalistic, 
us versus them type rhetoric. In Poland, and I think this is typical of a lot of authoritarian governments and a lot of particularly Eastern European authoritarian governments, we see this in Hungary, we see this in Belarus, we see this in Russia, this idea that there is something coming from the outside to overtake and supplant the, we'll call it indigenous values. It's useful here because it's the idea that it's something that comes from the land, like it is inherent to the people and the space and the nation of Poland. So they have this very conspiratorial mindset about Western values coming to supplant Polish values, which include things like gender roles and the value of family over, quote, gender ideology, which is anything to do with women's empowerment, feminism, LGBTQ+. It also involves narratives around the Holocaust. The idea that Polish people were anything but victims of Nazi and Soviet oppression is considered an attack on the Polish nation. The Poles were 100% victims of Nazi and Soviet brutality and horrific things were done to the Polish nation that is second only to what was done to the Jews. But at the same time, it's indisputable that Poles took part willingly and unwillingly in the murder of Jews during the Holocaust and again afterwards as well. There was a lot of pogroms and massacres of Jews in 1946 because they were determined to be communists because any number of reasons. So the conspiracy is that basically the West has decided to write the narrative of the Holocaust and blame the Poles, and it's therefore an attack on the Polish nation. There's a part of this conspiracy that Polish Jews were attacked not because they were Jews, but because they were Poles. So the Nazis came for all Poles, which included Jews and non-Jewish Poles. This is interesting because it's actually an old Soviet narrative. The old Soviet narrative was that the Nazis came for all communists, and it just so happened that the Jews that were murdered were communists. And it's a trend in Eastern Europe at this point to use old Soviet narratives, which I think is fascinating, because again, those Soviet narratives had the same sort of motif of outside influences coming to attack the nation. I think that's important to know that these conspiracy theories are really about attacks on the Polish nation and fundamentally about Polish victimhood, which is why it's illegal. And that law of 2018, there were some scholars who were sued under that law for basically stating that this Polish mayor had denounced a group of Jews hiding in the forest who were then murdered by the Nazis. I don't know where that lawsuit will go, but it is a time of Holocaust denial. It's hard to say where all this will lead. With the Ukrainian invasion holding the world's attention, the authoritarian regime in Poland has become a secondary concern. To close out my interviews, I asked both my guests to consider where Poland may be headed and if there's any hope of a reversal on this democratic backsliding. I don't see how this would change, particularly because the United States cannot easily put greater pressure on Poland than it has been doing. It has been doing some of that, and it worked in a couple of cases, for example, with the Polish press. And the Polish government was willing to make some changes with the Polish press. But Poland is such a good member of NATO for its self-interest and understanding Western solidarity needed to contain Russia that it's very difficult for any government to make important changes. 
The risk is full authoritarianism, and I think Poland is moving in that direction. Uh, there are many, many, many signs, uh, because the European Union does not have the authority, except by unanimous vote, to exclude Poland uh, from, the, from the Union. And Poland does have Hungary to veto any such possible resolution by the European Union. So therefore, the expulsion of Poland is all but impossible. And as long as that's the case, I don't believe that Mr. Kaczynski is going to concede points. Now, it is true that there is now a real opposition led by former Prime Minister Tusk, and he is back and he is working very hard on that. And also, there are some minor differences within the leadership under Kaczynski. The president of the country and even the, and the prime minister, too, occasionally have differences with Kaczynski. So, uh, you know, it's not over. Politics, you can never predict for sure, but it doesn't look very promising right now. Poland is not likely to go much further backwards because of its need for NATO and the United States. But beyond words and some very limited support for women's groups, for example, there's not that much the U.S. can do. So therefore, I believe that this will continue, you know, unless the Polish electorate wakes up and supports the opposition. Those demonstrations are heartwarming. In no other country are there so many people, especially in the cities, alert to the danger of authoritarianism in Poland. And so I think that huge minority is doing what it can. They're working very hard and they're waiting for Poland to return to the spirit and substance of the 1990s when Poland played a pioneering role, the expansion of NATO and eventually the expansion of the European Union as well. I think we're going to see Poland like Hungary, like Brazil, like India, this trajectory toward semi-authoritarian consolidation, this sort of move to a liberal democracy, which is the term that they're using, is going to stick for at least a little while. I think it's going to be really hard for a lot of people for a while, because in Poland, we're seeing they crack down even further on abortion. They're trying to pull out of the Istanbul Convention, which would protect women from violent and domestic violence, which is a major problem in Poland. The LGBTQ community is struggling there. I think we're going to see this status quo for a while. It might even get worse, God forbid. But I do believe that the arc of history bends upwards. I think that the democratic wants of the people of Poland will be seen again and fulfilled again. The tragedy of Poland is that for a long time, it was considered to be the model of post-Soviet states transitioning to democracy. Poland was the beacon of democracy in Eastern Europe. We had seen it. It had come through with a peaceful election, mass mobilization, negotiation, and it has crumbled so quickly. It feels very sad, but at least I have hope. I don't think it'll come through EU intervention, but I think the Polish people are stronger than any rightward swing. And I think at the end of the day, they will prevail. Poland is a beautiful country, rich with history, culture, and a passionate, vibrant populace. Poles possess incredible resilience and a great capacity to mobilize for change. There's certainly a strong base of support for PIS. The party is very strategic in crafting their rhetoric to appeal to conservative demographics. But there's also a large movement that strives for change, Poles are unafraid to rally, to take to the streets and campaign for the democratic future they want. 
They did it during solidarity, and in many ways, they're standing in solidarity again now. Only time will tell what the future holds. But in this, there's hope. You are listening to The Looking Glass, the audio complement to the Sykes Review print journal of Johns Hopkins University. You can find our latest articles and our most recent issue at sykesreview.sykes.jhu.edu. Thank you, as always, to the Foreign Policy Institute and the editorial board. This episode was produced by me, Mary Hopkins, and music was produced by Simon Putas. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Looking Glass.